just here uh you know it's just um well but we're the show must go on right and right. um what to, the fuck is going on here and uh oh, i'm just testing out my new <laughs> <laughs> well that works my sunglasses were damaged <laughs> okay all right chuckles uh, let's let's before my boss calls let's drunk fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh all right what's going on Okay, all right. Do you have like an Arnold generator? Yeah, like, I, I got oh, an Arnold sound. I like it. <laughs> so if I just keep this here, uh, this is my favorite. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so we could do this all day. We could. There's plenty of pages. Eventually people would stop, stop listening. Whining. Oh, okay. That's the case. Yep. Stop it! All right, okay. good. All right, um, we got to get started. We got a very uh, exciting <laughs> show. And um, and we're back. You started it. So yeah, we started it. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. You. Today on RMA. Yes. The PTA boat trip turns into an awkward <laughs> gathering at a local brewery. Oh, Independence right. Day celebrations abound. abound. Bombs literally bursting in air. And we are joined by the great Aaron Moore for a special relapse edition of Get Smart. <laughs> all We're this, all going to drink all this for the show. And more today on a very special edition of RMA. And how are you, Mr. Mike? <sighs> what, what are we doing here on a Wednesday? That's mo yeah. more importantly, what the fuck? You know, it occurred to me like two days ago that I was not going to be here on Friday. <laughs> so I, uh, I immediately uh, reached out to you and I said, hey, I'm not going to be here on Friday. Yeah. And I left it kind of deliberately ambiguous because I was hoping you would say, you know what? Fuck you it. Idiot. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Let's just not do it this week. And but then, of course, that was not an option. So uh, we are doing it today, and we have the help of uh, Aaron Moore mm. to um, discuss all things relapse, which yeah. is great. Um, so I apologize. Well, you know what? I, why am I apologizing? Because you're still I, doing the show. I, <laughs> I assume you're not dropping this till Friday, right? Um, I haven't decided. I figured we would discuss that. Don't uh, don't drop it till Friday. Okay. It's because people. Well, are, that would be the professional thing yeah, to but, do. Well, people are just going to be like, "What's this doing in my feed?" Yeah. Like, and then they're going to get confused, and then they're going to look for us next, on Wednesdays right. now or whatever. So okay. So let's pretend that it's Friday. It's sort of like when I got my wife the uh, engagement ring back in the day. You know, I don't know if like holding on to it, like, oh, I'm going to propose it, you know, right. on this date. And you have a whole thing set up, but you got the ring in your pocket mm -hmm. and it's burning a hole in it. It's, it's so the what did same. you do? Just throw it at her at a pizzeria? Uh, <laughs> I, I well, now that you've forward, invited the story, I, I moved forward it. with my plan. I got the variant was a, a jeweler is a jeweler. And uh, so I got it from her. I, I was I put it on layaway and I paid, you know, for over like six or seven months. I was paying for this. Wow. Ring. You know, it was a nice ring. Nice. And um, and then uh, I was taking her to my parents house, which is very it's palatial. It's got beautiful views. It's in a nice area. And I told her I had to go do something for my parents at their house because they were away. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we walked to the backyard where there's, you know, like I said, you can see the water from there. And uh, and then I got down on one knee, oh, and I proposed. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so there you are. There, yeah, no, that's, that was a great story. story. If, just quickly, for Aaron, we were out uh, at our usual watering hole in Manhattan that, that serves nice uh, Spanish food. And I also got down on one knee. But it, because it was Manhattan, the tables are extremely close together. So as I was getting on one knee, you I was knock like, over, bumping like, over the table next to me. <laughs> and then I cut myself on a clamshell and I bled all over the place. There so it was, you go. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was romantic. Though. Happy anniversary. A couple months too late. Anywho, um, yeah, so you should come and visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and you should find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. Join. Yeah, the, I, know what, I know what's next. You don't have to prompt me. The discussion. I know. <laughs> <laughs> on our exclusive and private Facebook group, we've been getting, you know what we've been getting lately? A lot of emails. People have been emailing us yeah. a lot. Have you noticed this? I, well, you get more than I do, I think, but I do get some. That but you have to check that email box. Yeah, I, I check it, you know. Yeah. You and Grant seem to have a lot going on. Yeah, there. yeah. We, we're, we've we got the show all taken care Is of. It, yeah. You don't need to worry Speak, about it. Speaking of Grant, this this show today <laughs> brought to you by our, uh, our editor at large of RMA News at the RMA Newsroom. Thank you, Grant. And yet again, I did not pick one of those stories for... <laughs> well, let's say that's part of being an editor. You do your best to yeah. get the stuff that you want the anchors to read, but it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. There were a lot of good stuff as usual, but I went in a different direction. Uh, great reviews of our podcast that you will write us when you go to those places that I just mentioned yes. uh, will be read on the show. So open your Apple Podcasts app if you use that. If you don't use that, I don't know how the hell you're going to leave us a good review, but you know... Do do what you got to do. You're you got to crazy. <laughs> Here's the thing with comedy, right? You don't beat the horse until it's completely dead. <laughs> Just leave it lying in the field for a no, while. No, you don't beat it until it's completely dead. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you not you don't continue to beat it. Like so, if I if I keep hitting, like you know, oh, you know these guys. You think I'm funny, huh? You think I'm funny? All <laughs> right. Okay. See, now it's not funny. Uh, new merchandise will be available soon. Support your favorite show. Go to middleagesrecovery.com. Click the shopping cart icon and see what's cooking. What's cooking? Yeah. We got things cooking? Cooking. Yeah. New stuff. Uh, our merch is high quality, rare, in demand, and pretty fucking awesome. Right? That's You've been uh, working on your copy editing skills. I did. There, I told Nat. you last night I really sat down and worked on this outline because I was freaking out that I had to do it early. Tell us your story. We want to hear it, and you want to tell it to us because it's cathartic for you, and it's good, good, <laughs> good content for us. Good radio. Um, so we have one from David M. Can I read it this week? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you for your time. I hope the weather held out and both of you ended up on a boat. Well, not, not that particular day. Nope. Uh, I basically dabbled in everything, minus the needle, all the way to the age of 41. Your last episode really hit the nail on the head. I have regrets. Sometimes I feel like everyone has passed me by. I never finished college, so I ended up with a lawn service. I live in Alabama, so the humidity can be rather taxing. Wow, I'll say. Uh, in, my partying, in my partying days, I loved cocaine. Me too. Uh, but now I was married, so I left that behind. Enter Adderall. Hmm. I now no longer had to think or better yet feel. I don't care if the heat index is 110. I'm a machine. I can sometimes go three to four days without sleep. Oh, yeah. Oish. I've been there. How long can this last? Uh, I need to include beer, Percocet, occasional Xanax, and Norcos. What's a Norco? Norco, it's, it's, a, um, 
it's a pill. I think they're prescribed. I only learned about them from watching um, from watching Intervention because they a lot of the people on there are like, I'm addicted to Norco's. Norco's. It's it's some southern, kind of. Is it a southern drug? Yeah. They, I, it's because it's not. Yeah, if any uh, monsters out there can explain what a Norco is, um, I know it's some kind of pill drug okay. thingy. Uh, expensive habits, indeed. My wife would occasionally catch me. Pills would sometimes magically appear. I got sloppy, I suppose. Then one day the ultimatum had arrived. Go get yourself some help or get out. Uh, that day I went to see a counselor. I went to my first NA meeting. I love the show. Sometimes I need a different perspective as I continue to trudge to a happy destiny. And I get that from your podcast. Would love to elaborate. Call me anytime, Dave M. And he did provide us with this phone number. Should we call him right now? Tell him that we read this story. Or we're not that kind of show. Okay. I mean, we could. Surpri- surprise. Surprise. <laughs> um, not today. I don't know, my friend. I would just thank you for the story. I would suggest maybe you don't trudge to a happy destiny. Maybe maybe, maybe it shouldn't be a trudge. You should skip you know? and prance. Well, I don't know about... Pr- Speaking of prancing, yeah. do you know there's a whole thing called prancer size? Have you ever heard of this? I've never heard of this, but I think I want to. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. It's apparently people who prance as if they're on a horse <laughs> <laughs> across fields and over obstacles, and it, lo- it looks as ridiculous as it sounds. That sounds and almost like that those obstacle courses people do, Tough Mudder and Spartan Race. This hey, is the same type of thing. I, it is not the same type of thing. <laughs> and I have done those races. And yes, I, I know. And, oh, is that why you said that? Was that a dig? It was a it dig. It was a dig. Was so a dig. Prancer Size, is, in my mind, is second only to the fact that they actually have competitions um, where people, where it's some kids, but it's some adults too, um, on a hobby horse. Oh no. Yeah. You know, on the pole <laughs> you put between your leg with the horse's head on oh, it. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that could be a number of things, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but you, you, uh, you, you put the little fake horse between your legs and you jump over things as if you're on a real horse. I have you ever heard of this? Uh, no, I cannot believe You are not looking I, at the right YouTube channels. I haven't seen <laughs> All right, so Prancer Size and this horse thing will be in the show notes because I need to make work for myself today. Um, So the life update portion we've gotten to. uh, Recording on a Wednesday, what the fuck? Mike, we already... uh, Do you know W-I-T-A-F? What the actual fuck? Yeah, that's one of these new phrases that's come around recently that I am in love with. Recently? Isn't that like from the 90s when the internet started? No, I've never heard what in the actual, actual fuck until these last six months. Oh. Well, I don't know where it comes welcome. from. Welcome. I love it. Welcome to the internet. <laughs> hey, um, we have new moderators at the private group, but we wanted to. And thank uh, God for that. In. Yeah. Because it's getting a little crazy trying to keep up with everything over there. Well, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, we built a private group and, you know, I tried to get in there because I'm also doing the main page and everything else. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I started to log in once in a while, <laughs> and then there was like p- pending posts because we had it all. So we didn't want people just posting whatever, right? And uh, and then once we people start talking, and, and you know, if you build it, they will come, type of thing. And um, and so Jeff, the great Jeff D, uh, and um, uh, the great G Money Smooth, uh, the editor at large of the RMA Newsroom, and um, the great Aaron Moore. Uh, recently also accepted the moderatorship. So uh, thank you guys for that. Um, yeah. It's really exciting to see uh, people start talking. 
Can and I just say there are some weird motherfucking people that comment on our... Um, oh, on the ads. Yeah, on the ads. Yeah, we run ads that, that go not to just the people on our page. So um, <laughs> it depends on how I'm targeting that Some day. of them don't make any sense. Like they, it's just a stream of words that I can perceive negativity in, but I have no idea what the guy's talking about. Like that guy yesterday, right? You know who I'm talking about? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I don't... I mean... Well, look, how, how messed up is it that you have to go out of your way to like, res- to talk about an, ad? okay, go ahead. Well, okay. Well, just, just as an example, we just, you know, we put, did a new ad and it just, it says on it, recovery in the middle ages podcast. And then in big letters, addiction, recovery, comedy podcast. Right. And that's like an ad it's going out. I target, you know, like parents, people in addiction services, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then I get one of the comments was, sorry, but I don't think this has anything to do with comedy. People's lives are at risk. Maybe I'm wrong. And so (laughs) what I responded with was, uh, Margaret, those of us who are in recovery use comedy and gallows humor to cope, connect, and process trauma and the struggle we go through to stay sober. Give it a listen. You will get it. Yes. Can I see that for a second? Because I don't know if you saw the most recent one. I don't know. It's, I might have deleted one of them. one of the guys I just kind of got rid of because he was just being a dick. He's like, what sober mean? <laughs> and then no, uh, and, you, and you said, well, what does it mean to you? Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't know, man. Yeah. And I wasn't he, being a dick. And he's like, settle down, Beavis or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I got on there and yelled at you. Yeah. I said, Nat, how dare you ask such questions? How dare you ask a question? So I just deleted it. Yeah. You don't need that shit. That's on an ad. I don't care about in our Facebook page, but what I'm trying to, because people who see the ad then see those comments. And so I think you might've deleted the one that I had on there. Cause it, the, the guy was just, uh, I don't know. It yeah. was just nonsensical. So anyway, don't take any shit on there. If you piss, uh, piss me off or you're mean, it's gone. Uh, so thank you. New moderators. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, so over this past week, you know, we made a big to-do, and it hasn't been a full week either, so there's not going to be as much content here, but <laughs> I tried to make up for it. With you know what, my- though? It was a very intense period of time with July 4th and all that stuff. In it there. was. Um, some of you remember, uh, there was it was up in the air whether we were going on this special cruise to nowhere on this antique sailboat or whatever it is, and uh, there was a big snowstorm. And, uh, a what? A snowstorm. Uh, not a snowstorm. A regular storm. A rainstorm. Rainstorm. <laughs> and uh, I could have just said storm, but in any case. So we had with about 10 other couples, let's say, um, planned this evening where we were all going to hang out on this ship and whatever, get away from the kids for a bit. Anyway, it gets canceled, but we had bought all of this food because apparently there's no food on the ship, but they let you bring catering. So we had all this catering and we had all these people who got... Uh, who got babysitters for the night. Mm. And uh, I guess one of them decided, the main one, uh, she's just like, oh, okay, it's okay if it gets canceled. We'll just go to the brewery. Now, there's a very hip little brewery in town that has like, basically it's a bar and they have games, they have like golden tea music, you know, like cornhole or whatever. And then some of those games, it's like a place to hang out. Supposedly it's a good place to bring kids. I don't (laughs) see why. And, uh, and so it got moved over to the brewery and, um, now Mike and his wife were supposed to go and, uh, and since it got moved, they, they dissed us, but I went, so I went right before you get into that, uh, 
I take exception to your characterization of the brewery as a hip little spot in Oyster Bay because I I used to go there when I was drinking and it's they have fluorescent lights and zero atmosphere. It's a big cavernous warehouse. It used to be a dollar store and they didn't do much to it. They didn't do they hardly did anything to it. But they serve can, no food. No, you uh, bring your own food. They tell you to bring it they in. They tell you to bring it in, yeah. right? They they encourage you to bring yeah, it get in. Get takeout. The bartenders are nasty fucks. Yeah. And and I'm talking about the women. The guys are even worse. Uh, if you're not drinking their beer, they don't want to give you the time of day. And so the thought of hanging out there, and plus I don't know any of these other couples. Like I know you and Christine. Oh, you don't know? I, I, yeah, Cause I we look, I, know them. I looked at a picture. Someone, somebody posted a picture or something uh, after the fact. And I was like, yeah, I don't know any of those people. So we decided to bail. So yes, you know, I apologize. We, we ditched you, I suppose is, is the say, but, but you had a great time, didn't you? Because you know, when you texted me at nine 45 and you're like, I'm finally going home. I was like, thank God I didn't go. Well, we had been there since seven o'clock. Exactly. You know, listen, uh, I thought of, and because my wife was like, you don't have to go if you don't want and don't worry and da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know what? No. I'm like, this isn't just about that it's at a brewery. The idea is it's time my wife and I are, are going out and, you know, fraternizing with other couples. And, um, and I thought that it's important, you know, it, I, I don't have a problem being around alcohol, thank God, anymore. And so... I said, you know what? It will make my wife happy. She's sick of going out by herself because I either have to stay home from the kids or whatever Mm -hmm. for a long time because she wanted to continue to go out. We didn't have alcohol in the house, but she wanted to go out with her friends and just, you know, drink uh, like normal people, I guess. And uh, and so these opportunities we get to just be together and be around other adults are rare. Mm -hmm. So I said, great, I'm going to go. I mean, how bad could it possibly be? Uh, it turns out it wasn't bad at all. I mean, I didn't love it. It's it's annoying to be at a place like that uh, with absolutely nothing for you. Like, I went up to go order. I figured, oh, I'll get a Coke, you right. know, yeah. uh, or anything. I don't know, seltzer. And I asked those amazing bartenders who <laughs> said, wow, great. Hey, do you have any, like, I was even considering an N.A. beer, which right. I don't do that usually. And I'm slightly against it, but I'm like, eh. Maybe I'll um I'll have a the local brewery you know NA beer. It'd be nice if they had one. That would be cool, right? <laughs> and um, so she, I said, well, hey, what do you have without alcohol? And she looked at me and she was like, uh, a tap water. And I was like, what, what a douchey really? response, first of all. Yeah. Like regardless, like they don't the concept of the designated driver has never occurred to them, so they don't have any soda they can provide. Yeah, nothing. They like nothing. what the fuck? So I had uh, our hometowns, you know, tap water, which is great. It comes right. It was cloudy, you know, just like tap <laughs> yeah, water yeah, that of comes course, out, right. Came out of the slop sink. Yeah. And uh, but it was. They had fine. to move the mop over Listen, to fill up your glass. I hung out. I wasn't an asshole about it. Um, I, f- I learned there were two other dads there that, uh, also don't drink or, um, or weren't drinking that night. I know one of them is always sober, but I don't know his story. The other guy I know isn't sober, but his retort was, I don't drink beer. Uh, and, um, I was like, oh, that's great. And he goes, yeah, I prefer drugs to be honest with you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And you know, what did I say to that? What? Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, that's a truth. You know. yeah, I, I do. I prefer <laughs> drugs to drinking. It's just the way it is. And so that was interesting. And you know what? I kind of just stood behind my wife while she talked to people and like made a, a joke here and there and kind of, uh, that was it. And then since I was, we, we drove our neighbors 
live around the corner from us. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the idea that, you know, I'm designated driver, of course. So, of course. You know, I, they can get wasted. And they were fun drunks. They were fine. It was just we were leaving. I wanted to. They're like, we got to get ice cream. Ice cream. It was like drunk ice cream. I'm like, fuck. So we went to Carvel, it was closed, and we drove home, stopped at Baskin-Robbins, and they had to eat the ice cream outside. And I've got all this separation anxiety with my son, Noah. Mm. And that was the other thing I want to talk about going out, is Noah really has, we talked about this before, he has major separation anxiety. I blame it on having to go to a lot of meetings and going away to rehabs and things like that when he was very young. Um, and I, and I think that's part of it. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but he really doesn't like it when we go out, you know, um, my younger one, you know, whatever he, he's a lot more independent. So, right. you know, that was hard. And I, and I know I got to do more of that, you know, lovingly separate and just kind of get out of that, uh, habit. But, um, no, that was tough, but, um, well, I'm glad you had a good night. Yeah. It would have been better if you were there. You know, my wife and I are very, we're, we're not very social, you know? I mean, she's got friends. I have friends. It's just, uh, I don't know. We're just not. I get it. I get it. I just, it wasn't that I felt like I was going to be tempted to drink. I just figured it would play out like it played out. Like there'd be nothing. Yeah. You know. Well, the big difference is my wife really wanted to go and yeah. you. I mean, if Aaron wanted to go, you know, I would have went. You right. know, it's whatever. But we ended up going out to eat. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, nice. it was great. You know? mm-hmm. Well, you I, had a, you got a good date out of yeah, it anyway, exactly. Uh, and then we had what Independence Day, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, not long after, and what That's did you right. do for Independence? Did you break the law? Did you? That's well, what I did. Get be- chased by the day police? before Independence Day. Ah. So um, I grabbed Ben because nobody. I, I needed a partner in crime, and uh, he's ten. And we got in the car and we drove out to uh, Pennsylvania. Where fireworks are illegal. Wait, so you left the state to buy, to purchase fireworks that are illegal in your own state. Yes, but they're not illegal where I purchased them. But they, but you brought them back over state lines. I may or may not have done that. That may be a federal crime. They're, no, it's Isn't not. Isn't that a, trafficking? It's not a federal crime. It's not trafficking. No, no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Ben likes to go to the fireworks store, and so we went and... <laughs> He's, yeah, he likes the fireworks stories. I, I would have. My son Jack was very pissed that I didn't wake him up, but he sleeps till like one o'clock in the afternoon, and I was, wanted to be on the road by eight. So we went, and we bought that, and then we, we I decided to make it a full Pennsylvania experience. So we drove to Cabela's. You know Cabela's? I've seen the commercials. It's, uh, the store. It's full of like guns and fishing rods and America. stuffed animals. Yeah. So uh, we America. went there. I bought a. I bought a knife like you wear on your belt there, but mine has a mine has an American flag. Shut on it. up! Yeah, that's amazing. And um, what else? And then we got lunch at uh, McDonald's, and then we stopped at a meat store on the way back. Meat. These Pennsylvania Dutch meat people. Did they say please meet, to meet farmers? Please to meet you. No, I'm surprised you didn't. Please to meet do you. That on the phone. Um, I can't. And uh, you told me to stop. I bought uh, some, you know, bacon and stuff. It was very. It was the most American thing I could have done on Fourth of July week. I bought a pound of bacon, yeah. uh, illegal explosives, and a knife. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. My my politics are decidedly lefty, but my my uh, my hobbies and tastes are decidedly redneck. You yeah, know? you're you're a closet <laughs> uh, red state guy. Yeah. So. And then we brought them back and then it became, then I get anxious, right? Yeah. Like now I have these huge, you know, explosives 
in my garage. My oldest son is a bit of a pyromaniac. He likes lighting things on fire. So None of this as, soon as, like a good as idea. soon as he saw them in there, he went right to the garage with a lighter. So I was like, no, 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 no. I took them all. I brought them upstairs into my bedroom and I, and I closed the door. I was like, you're not getting anywhere near those. Um, so the next day, yeah. we, um, I, we were driving around looking for places to shoot these illegal fireworks off without getting arrested because last year we almost did get arrested. We yeah. shot them off in the, well, we should, probably shouldn't have shot them off in the high school field. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably not. No. But I wasn't aware of the libertarian paradise that is Beekman oh, yeah. Beach on the 4th of July. You're going to have to. Uh, do I? No. Uh, so uh, I go down there and there's a guy who looks like Kid Rock on acid. He's got no shirt on, long hair, a cowboy hat, and a, um, a, a Stars and Stripes bathing suit. And he's setting up this enormous fireworks display and he goes you guys better get out of here because it's about to get really hard and i'm like i brought the hard and i held up my bag of fireworks he's like you only got one bag and i'm like where am i like what <laughs> part of the country is this so well, like, that, that's a special like shady beach yeah. like there's the main beach that normal people right. hang out, and then there's the Beekman beach yeah. which is very shady it was it was you know what it was a lot of families hanging out it was fine you know but it it was just a little weird because that, you know, the code enforcement guys, they sit there in their cars and they watch you lighten off these yeah, explosives yeah. and yeah. they don't give a That's rat's ass, you know, uh, not a Nassau County cop to be seen. Uh, there were a few Karens in the, in the parent Facebook group who were oh, like, yeah. why are the fireworks going on? You know, why whatever. Why we have fireworks? So we lit off our stuff there and it was great. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really nice 4th of July. We went out on the boat earlier in the day. That was fun. Yeah, yeah man. That's really cool. Okay. Um, what about you? What'd you do? Me. Well, well, you went to a party, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, th- those of you who are familiar with the our opening track for our podcast know that it's it's a song from a record that I did in 2003, I think. Mm. And um, the, like the other, the main writer, basically, I mean, I was just a co-writer and I just did production on it and played on it but he he was really the brains behind that band uh is he lives around a corner from me and uh he always has this um big fourth of july party and it's a lot of the people from my former life in rock and roll you know uh all these people were there and you know and then when people see you i haven't seen him in a long time and it's all talking about bands mm. you know we're talking guitars we're talking cool. remember those shows we did this and that and it really took me back and um any of those guys sober or mm, he actually yeah there was this one uh this one guitarist uh that I, I used to work on his record with my friend chris who does who's an engineer and we were also great friends he used to hang out come see our band play and stuff knowing him a long time right and he was I, it made me think back to going to my friend chris's bachelor party this is maybe 16 17 years ago and i remember we were all at you know we're at this strip club and there george is sitting there with a bottle of water Hmm. and i was like what the fuck is going on with this guy you know and i remember thinking like george man you want a drink yeah and he's like no no, i'm good you know and he's a real like tough like drives a forklift kind of heavy metal Uh guy and uh, he's a great musician too and uh and I was like, I only thought about this now that I'm sober. And then I saw him again. I hadn't seen him in five, ten years. And he's just just like me, not drinking. Right. So there's a lot of these secret, yeah. you know, like sober guys out there that maybe they don't walk around with a big book. Almost like uh, there's a secret society or something. It is a secret <laughs> society. It's it's the um, 
something the silent minority. But um, I don't know. It was a, it was a lot of a lot of fun. The kids even had fun. Um, and it was just great. Great to you know hang out outside for a bit. Um, you know, I got, and also I loved when people were like, oh, wow, you looking fit, man. Yeah. And, uh, but really it just makes me feel like, well, what the hell did I look like last time? If there's probably yeah, not so, so surprised, dude. <laughs> I have so, to say, I'm, I've been staring at your arms since I've been sitting here, not in a sexual way, but, uh, you've definitely, it's amazing how quick you have be gone from being a somewhat scrawny fellow I wasn't scrawny. to uh, to whatever this is. This is like Arnold Schwarzenegger well, arms. What what we're seeing is I think it's muscle memory, and I'm working out a lot, and I completely changed my diet. So it's like I'm taking like 200 grams of protein a day. I'm working out four or five times a week, like really really hard. And uh, I don't know. So I'm doing the way you're supposed to. And if you do that, you you know, you just need a couple of months really to. It's pretty amazing. Be fucked. Transformation. Um, anybody can do it. Now, I'm not going to be able to grow 40 pounds of muscle in the next month because I'm not on steroids. But, you know. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's just great to, you know, to feel good about yourself and, um, and all of that, you know. And it made me think back on uh, 4th of July as kids. I think. One of the most uh, romanticized times in uh, in our lives, I feel like, in America, because now we have listeners all over the world. So, right. you know, America, 4th of July, especially when we were kids in the 70s and 80s, it was so magical. It really was. And I thought maybe for a moment we could reach back to maybe your childhood uh, 4th of July memory, if you have any, uh, anything that stands out. <laughs> I didn't realize you were going to put me on the spot. you on the spot. Um, Okay, so I grew up, we, the house my parents had had a fairly big piece of property with it. So um, as soon as I was old enough, what, what, what do you want to hear about? Kid, kid stuff? Because yeah. my cousins were older and they used to bring fireworks over and we would stuff light them like off. like that. You know? The, the would, secret fireworks yeah. is all of that stuff. Right. And I remember one fourth of July, I was still a kid and I remember calling my cousin on the phone being like paranoid that he was going to light off everything before he came to the house later. So I got him on the phone and he's like, I'm just lighting off everything. You know, he was yeah. like fucking with me, but he ended up showing up with some stuff. So it was good. And, and when I turned 13, I started taking the train into the city and I don't, did you ever buy fireworks in Chinatown? Uh, I've done it before, but not a lot. It, totally different New York City in, in the early 1980s oh, yeah. where you would go walk into Chinatown and every 20 feet, somebody would be like, uh, firework, firework. And then you, you'd say, yeah, okay, I want some fireworks. And then you had to follow them uh, into, down these alleys, into these weird rooms. Yeah. And you'd go into like a, a room and it was an apartment. It's and It was set up like a fireworks man. supermarket. Yes. And you go and back then you could buy like pineapples, which are quarter sticks of dynamite, mm -hmm. you know, with a little green fuse. You'd think that with terrorism and everything that this stuff would not be so easy to get. Well, well now they're legal, but back then it was, it was totally illegal, but uh, they turned a blind eye to it in New York until Giuliani came in and then he, th that disappeared overnight, mm. uh, which was very sad because, you know, when the Chinese didn't have anything, you'd go to little Italy and guarantee you the Italians if had the all, everything. Don't have it, the Italians, the Italians had the, the pineapples and the crazy stuff, but, uh, yeah, so good memories. I, 4th of July was always my favorite holiday because I always like blowing things up. Yeah. You know, I, when I was a kid, we, we had an uncle who had a beach house in a, in a neighboring town that, um, which 
I don't know if it still is, but when I was a kid, this town was the place to go for Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Like everybody in this town wanted to be uh, on that beach. I don't know why. Maybe it had a particularly, I don't know. But the but the the feel, uh, the zeitgeist. It was just like this is like Devil's Night. Like <laughs> everything goes. Yeah, yeah. And you had this feeling that like anything could happen. And and that was I thought was you know something that stood out to me like there was a, almost a magic like a dark magic like anything can happen you know you could and I used to think about man I could blow my finger off with one of these things or right. so something will happen and it'll be magical and um, when, you did experience trauma though didn't I you? did when I was about five or six years old we were at at the beach and I remember like it was chaos back then. Like on the, even though it was his private beach though, but everybody was, you know, they mm-hmm. just share the coast there. Um, and, uh, it was just like bedlam, you know, um, as soon as the, the lights, uh, the lights, as soon as the sun went down mm-hmm. on that beach on 4th of July, right. that was when it really picked up and, uh, and I was a little scared, you know, uh, but it's exciting. Things are exploding, you know, here and there. And, uh, and all of a sudden I felt this burn on my butt and what turns out, like a bottle rocket must have fired, you know, parallel to the to the sand and exploded on my ass and burnt a hole in my shorts. And I'll just never forget, like it, it exploded happened. on your ass and burnt a hole in your shorts. That's right. Okay, that's it. And and I remember my dad picked me up, threw me over his shoulder. I was sobbing and sobbing, and we went straight home. But is that why you yelled at me when I said I was going to pick up illegal fireworks? You were like, "I do not approve." <laughs> I think yeah, there's part of part of my trauma is connected to uh, yeah. Maybe that's it. I like I I don't know. I just hate fireworks like that. I don't huh. know. I'm against it. I'm against it. I don't like it. So, that's my traumatizing. Uh, I think next Fourth of, July, Fourth of July we need to go to Beekman and set up a, a, a camp and have a, a wild time with the kids. Uh, one more thing is uh, when I was in my twenties with this my friend Chris, mm-hmm. he used to do um, Jackie Martling, who was the uh, Jackie the Joke Man Martling, who was the head writer of the Howard Stern Show for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife had a band that I used to work on their record. Uh, when they were recording, and I went to their live shows to help set up. What was and, the name of that band? Uh, the Scoldies, um, with Nancy not, Siriani. Not a house name. No, they weren't. They weren't like famous. It was just Jackie's wife. You know what I mean? And, uh, and did he, they get like play local? Yeah, like, it was a yeah. bunch of, like local stuff. I mean, once in a while they would do like a uh, a place upstate, which had like a thousand seats that we would go to, and like hmm. she opened up for like Taylor Hicks, and uh, I was at that show. And um, but. We got invited to Jackie Martling's Fourth of July party in wow. that neighboring town. More, you know, only hung out stuttering. John showed up. You wow, know. Howard never. I never met Howard, but um, it was just very. That was a very exciting time to be, you know, in that circle, at least if not on the edges of it. Um, and that was that was a very cool time at uh, Jackie the Joke Man's Fourth of July party. So um, that uh, probably won't ever happen again. <laughs> we need to get him on the show. But uh, so anyway, that was 4th of July and uh, we salute America and happy birthday, America. Yeah, happy birthday. Um, Something, uh, one of the last things I think we're going to touch on here. uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. You got something, I think, in the mail that we were going to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we put that off till next show. I want to do a whole I want to do a whole thing on that. Okay. Well, that should uh, whet your appetite for the next one. Um, I do want to talk about. 
Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. All right, I just dropped off our kids this morning with uh, Captain Stu. Uh, yeah. Noah and, and Ben are off to fishing camp. Right. On the boat called the Sashimi. Yes, yes, it's fishing camp. <laughs> yes, they take, they take, there's like 12 little uh, buckaroos that they take out uh, into the waters to fish for porgies and tuna and all that kind of stuff. Sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, I was like, where's fishing camp for me? I would like to go to fishing camp. Uh, and because I'm pumping Ben for information when he came home the other day, I'm like, so what kind of line do you use and how far off the bottom and what, what's the bait you guys are using? He's telling me all this stuff. He like knows more about fishing for porgies than I do. You know how to fish? I fish a little bit. I don't, I've never been successful fishing. I've tried it. I must've spent the entire time trying to bait the hook at which point That's the important part. I went to go <laughs> cast the reel and it caught on something on the boat and I'm like, fuck, this is this sucks. A couple weeks come out on the boat, we'll do it. I want to. Yes. You know, my wife kind of grew up with with a lot of boats. Her uncle Joe was big and so she does, has done a lot of fishing. I have not. Our kids can show us exactly what to do. I, I'm hoping because mm-hmm. I want to, I, I mean, I think fishing could be great. Um, but that first day, he caught three porgies. He did. Yesterday, yeah. he caught nothing and was very upset because he was the only kid that didn't catch anything. Yeah. But the first day- I yelled at Ben for not giving him fish. <laughs> I, I was like, give, give the kid a fish. But he said, it was like, nobody gave you like an extra fish. And I was like, no. And uh, I said, well, listen, that's fishing. You know, some guys go out there for an entire week and don't catch anything. Right. Um, and so, but that first night we got to cook this porgy, um, which if anyone out there has, you know, ever eaten fish that's that fresh, it is a whole different animal. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a flavor that you just simply don't get in a restaurant. You just don't get it. Uh, when you buy it from the supermarket, when you just pull it out of the water, mm-hmm. man, the flavor is so mm, melts in your mouth. And, um, you know, the way we prepared it, it was just like olive oil, salt, you know, and, um, you know, put it in the oven and it was just perfect, not overcooked. And it was so good that even my seven year old, who is the pickiest eater mm-hmm. in the world, he only eats chicken nuggets, um, pizza, and kale, believe it or not, kale chips is the other thing he eats, but definitely no fish. And um, he saw us just fawning over this, like, oh, this is so good. And he looks up and goes, I want to try some. And we're like, really? wow. So we got a piece for him. He ate it, and the expression on his face was amazing. You just could see the light go off in yeah, his head. He's like, getting vitamins in his mouth that he's never had before. Right. He's <laughs> like, oh, my God, where has this been my yeah. whole life? And um and it was very cool. I don't know. I was very happy about yeah. it. I hope he catches a fish today because I'm hungry. Yeah. We beer battered it the first day in uh, non-alcoholic beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's ridiculous. He liked that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Okay. Are we getting, where are we? 37 minutes in. Are we getting to our main topic of we, the day, which is the relapse? We're getting there. We are getting there. So today is a very special edition of RMA. Um Relapse is something that touches everybody uh, in recovery. Everybody. Relapse is a part of recovery, they say. Do you believe that? <sighs> That's in a, a whole show because people <laughs> get very, very hot and bothered they do. W- when they hear that phrase. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, people not understanding the intention of the statement. Because, you know, we're not... Usually if you say relapse is part of recovery, then you always have someone else... Go retort. That's not recovery. That's relapse. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're not understand what Mm -hmm. we're saying here. What we're saying is 
90% of the time, when you are actively in recovery, there will be relapses. Why is it part of recovery? Because you use that as a stepping stone to move forward in your recovery. And therefore, it is part of it. It doesn't mean it's required. You guys like Paul Churchill uh, from... um recovery elevator and everything, they call it field research. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you're not quite ready that you have to go out and do a little more field research. It's not an excuse to do it, but it's just being honest and saying, this is what happens. Um, The problem is when you come at it directly from the mindset of certain 12 step programs who have this idea that if you head out once, it's going to be a a quick path to an early grave and that you're never going to be able to come back. I mean, if you embrace that paradigm, then I can can understand why people would think that it's so incredibly dangerous. Like I would never think like to myself, like that, that if I went out and I relapsed with crack, that that would be like, okay. You know, but if I relapse with a, with a drink, I, I, somehow I see them on a different level. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but. and, And you know what? You can recover from both, you know, even if I did go out and, and smoke crack, um, which has happened to me before. I mean, what I was going to say, I'm I, sorry, actually, I didn't, I, you, I know you got a thing. So yeah, I didn't start reading it yet, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like relapse was a big part and hopefully isn't anymore, but I'm open to that. It could happen again. Do you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. always on guard, but uh, it took me uh, a long time to get my first year. Um, and, uh, I I actually, uh, wrote something that I wanted to, uh, to read before we got Aaron on. So I think we're going to do this and, um, and then, um, we're going to call Aaron, uh, and, uh, we're going to have a really, uh, good discussion. I think, I think this is a really important topic. So, uh, this week we will be talking about relapse and redemption on a very special edition of Get Smart with Aaron Moore. So once a month, Aaron comes on the show, as you guys know, to give our analysis and insight into today's hot topics in recovery, <laughs> and to add the intelligent voice of feminine reason to our sometimes testosterone-saturated banter here on RMA. <laughs> Aaron is a recovered addict with years of experience in the field, and most importantly, the master of her own recovery. Here to shed some light on a topic that is near and dear to anyone's heart who has spent any amount of time in recovery or has a loved one in recovery. Most of us in long-term recovery have experienced relapse since we have started our sober journey. In fact, I would venture to guess that most of us have experienced a setback or two on the path to freedom from addiction. What I have learned, maybe the hard way, is that it is not how you fall down that matters, but it's how you get up that counts. Wow, that's true. Uh, Over my time in recovery, starting around approximately 2007, I experienced relapse over and over again. Each time, I felt completely hopeless, worthless, and ready to give up. The only thing that ultimately kept me in the fight was my desire to keep my family intact and serious legal consequences if I didn't remain clean. It took me 12 years to get my first year sober, but looking back at my relapses still helps me put my day-to-day recovery work at the forefront of my mind. A real sign of maturity and recovery is our ability to not only survive a relapse, but to take it as an opportunity to move forward and try something different. It may be better to add or subtract from your program. Almost every time I relapsed, I started out the next day with a fire up my ass to change something. Keep what was working, weed out what didn't, and add something new that I hadn't tried until I found a formula that gave me more and more clean time until I got where I am now. I am not cured and I am 
constantly on the lookout for new ways to enhance my recovery. Add things, subtract things, and keep the recipe fresh and zesty, <laughs> keeping me excited and interested in the day-to-day work of staying clean. Well, fresh and zesty is great. <laughs> That's um, what happens when I spend time writing this. <laughs> Let me ask you this, um, because, you know, I'm, it's it's always a question of mine, because, you know, the, people have th- hundreds of day ones sometimes, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I had tons of day ones, you know, I would commit to, to not drinking, and then within a day or two, I'd be back out there. Do you think you learn something from every time? Yes. That's 100% my philosophy. Um I, when I stopped getting ashamed and, you know, mad at myself to the point that I would just stay out there, when I started to like, okay, I did, a, I had a relapse, but okay, now how do I not do that again? Or what wasn't, I, I looked at it like a strategy, like right. a chess match, like, yes. oh, my addiction did that. So I'm going to do. You had to outsmart you know. yourself. I, I did. And I was always told not to try and do that. Uh, in in twelve step, it's right. like you can't outsmart this thing, and I'm like, I'm like, I get where you're coming from, but I'm going to outsmart this thing. <laughs> you know <laughs> right. what I mean? Right. And uh, and that's just well, uh, yeah, you got to learn from these. Recovery things. is all in your mind. It's ultimately right. I mean, yeah. So whether you're embracing a paradigm like AA or whether you're embracing a self created paradigm, they're you know it's still coming in from your head. So I I just I don't know. All right, let's get Aaron on the phone. Let's see, is this going to work? Yeah, probably. Down a little bit Do you think? Because sure. it's weird how this comes out yeah. in the levels. So, um. Hi. Good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. All right. I'm going to read this. All right. I'm going to read my little intro here. Um, Today, we have a very special opportunity to hear from a recovery Jedi, what her recent experience with relapse taught her, how it happened, how she survived, and how she took the opportunity of her relapse to grow in her recovery instead of shrinking in its shadow and wallowing in the self-pity and shame that so many gurus in recovery want us to experience. You aren't back to day one. You didn't throw away X number of years in recovery. And if anything, the fact that you came back and wanted to come on our podcast and dispel the relapse myth makes us want to hear more from you and want to support you even more than that. So with that, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome the great, the lovely, and the talented Aaron Moore. Welcome back, Aaron. Wow. That is uh, quite, quite the intro. Oh, my God. I've always wanted to do that. That's, like, so you, that was very... Um, I'm living a childhood dream. Yeah. I just, you know. I can oh invite you to support Thank events. you for tolerating that, Aaron. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, how are you guys? Are you getting along all right? Yeah. It's oh, little, yeah. We're a little weird doing this on Wednesday. Kind yeah. of threw us off, but that's, you know, Mike's fault. Yep, and, uh, my fault. I, I, I appreciate you being able to uh, to nimbly turn and, and, and join us today <laughs> instead of on Friday. <laughs> I don't know about nimbly, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With arthritis, a little, you know, kind of an arthritic uh, agree, agreeing to do this a couple of days early. No, yeah, and uh, no, you I- wanted to, so I just want to tell the audience that you know, usually with uh, get smart with Aaron Moore, it's usually like every third or fourth show we go, oh, time to have right. uh, Aaron back on the show. But this time, um, she said to us, "I want to come on the show. I have something I want to talk about." Um, 
and I think that that's it's really brave, and we're happy to have you on. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to talk about uh, you know why did sure. you decide to come on the show for this purpose? Well, um, a lot of it had to do with um, just feeling like uh, I had so much shame around it and so much uh what felt like you know a sense of privacy which uh some of it was and some of it was just uh not knowing how to talk about it and so just not um but also that deep feeling that we get even on a regular day of kind of being uh less than uh authentic or forthcoming that when you actually are uh you know hesitating to to share something which of course is our right to do or not do um you know that that it just adds to that uh but it it really what it what it you know boils down to is it took me uh several months to to get to a place where um I could even think about it or speak about it without feeling that deep sense of shame and um yeah so, um, why don't you take us through what happened? Um, you know, what precipitated the event? Yeah. People always ask you know? when I, when I would relapse, why did you do it? Yeah. What happened? You know? And I don't, I always question the wisdom of, for myself of, you know, finding out the why I always used to say, if your house is on fire, you just run out of it. You yeah. don't sit around trying to figure out who started the fire and why. But I think, I mean, what do you think about that? I just wanted to hear the what. Yeah, I want to hear the <laughs> story, the too. So, the <laughs> yeah. Well, I, how did it happen? You know, like, what happened? Right. Well, I understand what you're saying. A lot of times people, I know for myself, I've always had that question, whether out loud to somebody who reports having relapsed or, or even in my head. But sometimes it's uh, a sense of wanting to know what not to do. Mm. Uh, or, you know, what, what wisdom we can glean from it. <clears throat> but, and sometimes it's just try to figure out how it's not possible that it could be me. So it's hard to say what our motivating factors are right. for wanting to know the details. But, you know, I think at the very least in, in broad strokes, um, it can be useful information. And in my case, uh, you know, really it's, one of those things you're not quite sure exactly uh you know how you got there but uh but also I can see pretty clearly some of the factors involved and and one of course was um you know it being one of the scariest years I know I've I've endured um uh, with all of what occurred you know right at the beginning of COVID mm. Uh, literally the day everything shut down, I also lost uh, my job. And um, for me, what had become a sense of identity through it. Uh, But, you know, I was just carrying on, right? Going, uh, starting, moving meetings to Zoom, the AA meetings, um, moving forward with that, getting involved in other uh, online recovery platforms, Mm-hmm. Um, but there, you know, in other times during sobriety and, and through the years that I had been sober, if I had a job loss or if I had, uh, you know, some other, you know, seeming tragedy strike, I would just go to a bunch of meetings, you know, I would stay busy, stay out of the house. Um, 
and, and do all those things that just get you to the next level. And, um, and there were no meetings, the options, right? Right, right. The traditional options that I had been used to, you know, there was already a sense of loss and not having those options and what, you know, the isolation that had started to occur through that. But, um, but you know, the, the months went on and, um, you know, still abstinent uh, throughout those, um, but feeling more and more a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't just from not seeing, you know, it's not as simple as I didn't go to in-person meetings or, uh, you know, there's not one thing, right? It was just a... A confluence of just horror, you know. It's this combination of things that happened that, that, you know, that put you in that spot completely out of our control. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, that... Uh, we survived this thing, much less done it healthily, you know. Um, and it's right. just like, and, it's a, know. it was crazy. And like, I was thinking about all the people who depend on the the regular going to the meetings and the community. And it's really like, I mean, this was something that threw everybody for a loop. I mean, uh, well, it was also so unexpected that people didn't really have any time to put any plans in place. I mean, you know? just everything all at once. You're, yeah. you're home all of a sudden with your family that you maybe, you know, weren't used to being around. Then the job goes and then, man, and then you don't have the meeting. It just, mm. but you pulled it together. I mean, uh, what what was the first thing that you thought, like after the relapse, were you like, uh, what I have to fix this or were you panicking? Um, well, you know, the, the, some of the details of, of it, uh, are not just mine. And so some of it all, I'll leave out, um, mm-hmm. you know, just about, uh, exactly how it occurred and, and how, uh, I'll say that it was, it was initially, no, I didn't have that feeling. Um, I didn't think it, I wouldn't even call it what it was because at that time it was, um, <clears throat> you know, it was an attempt to use a substance I wasn't familiar with. Um, and one that is, uh, perfectly legal and one that is, <clears throat> uh, characterized in, the media and a lot of other places, uh, every recovery platform I can think of as being pretty much harmless. And, um, and it was initially, uh, you know, it was, uh, and just the, the in generality that started with a, um, you know, an attempt to use uh, CBD and, um, and I'm no, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, what you'll get at the natural foods market. I am talking about, um, higher, higher THC strains, but I just was, I'm just not, I just never was that familiar with THC to begin with mm-hmm. because it was something I hated, uh, traditionally when yeah, it came too. down to actual drug use, hated it, hated it, never got into it. And, um, <clears throat> so for me, it was medicine, right? I could see it as medicine and something to ease some of the ang- anxiety and that, you know, just the heightened level of everything that I felt and couldn't handle feeling, um, you know, had some real ups and some real downs, uh, in, 
in my relationship and just various things that were starting, just felt like they were unraveling. And it was um, the, the closest thing I could, you know, think of to something that was, quote unquote, probably harmless and may do some benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, so soon enough, it turned into full-blown, you know, weed smoking. Wow. So <laughs> and, um, it just started out innocently and, enough, you know, especially in today's yeah. atmosphere. You're, we're hearing all the time, and, I mean, there's so much uh, support for um, using marijuana in recovery to to stay sober. I mean, so it, it was very easy. And I'm going to be guarding against that myself. Once it gets to be everywhere in New York, um, what am I going to do? How am I going to cope with that? I don't know that, um, you know, I'm going to be able to not, I don't know. Like, but you know, and it's, so it starts out so innocently and you're hearing all of this support in the recovery community for it. Um, and so I would imagine that you were like, you know what, this is, this is fine for me. And it actually helps, like you said. But, you know, when did it turn on you? Well, you know, when it turned on me was when it did escalate from air or, and then it even eventually daily use of, um, you know, the CBD type product to being presented with, with uh, marijuana right in front of me. And, feeling like, well, um, you know, still with the same ideas. This was not me thinking, well, I'm about to throw away my sobriety. Well, I'm, you know, there were a lot of justifiable, you know, in my mind, there were lots of ways I justified it to call it something else um, and just coping and managing. And and it was, but it was really when it did escalate to to that um, progression and then, I remember distinctly having the thought that, um, that, you know, uh, I understood why marijuana was always called a gateway drug and it's not why I thought, right. It was because there was a cap on it. There was, you know, as someone who's a, an opioid, uh, primarily an opioid addict, um, an alcoholic, uh, you know, once I once I reached that limit of how high you can possibly get with marijuana, um, I started in a you know I, it wasn't a a conscious thought, but I started thinking, so this is it, like this is the plateau here, and then what? Mm. You know, I can see why it you know it, it'll just never enough, as they say, um, and yeah, so. So for me, um, luckily, it did not progress to much else. Um, there was also some uh, initially therapeutic use, uh, therapeutic um, size use of um, psychedelics. And, you know, that was framed in a certain way leading up to that where yeah. I felt like it had, you know, absolute uh, therapeutic value. Yeah. And, or, you know... Well, I think, you know, under certain circumstances, psychedelics probably do have a therapeutic value for PTSD sufferers and that sort of thing. But I mean, that's always under, or it should be under a controlled environment under the care of a physician. Um, You know, I I 
self-medicating with psychedelics seems like a recipe for disaster to me. Um, but, it, but you make a very interesting point, which I never considered before about the fact that when you reach a certain level of being high with, with pot, I mean, there is no going beyond that, right? Like Unless you don't overdose. Well, you although edibles have sort of moved, moved the bar. Oh yeah, on a that. few mega dose on. I'm um, sure you'll overdose. So that, but. but you know, I don't know if that's a. You can be very high on edibles, you know. Yeah. But um, I think that the the thing with marijuana is is it's so individualistic because there there are people out there who are using marijuana and it's keeping them from doing other things and. You know, I can't. Or if it's just helping them, yeah, I can't sleep judge that. You know, with respect to to another person's recovery, but I think the question to ask is, you know, where does that fit into you, right. your personal journey? Yeah, because we're not know? here to talk to, to to say to everybody, oh, if you you know smoke marijuana, you know, you have relapsed or right, right. I, I feel like it's it, it's dependent. Like it's almost like you're not you self diagnose that you're an alcoholic. That's what we say in recovery. Is you know you you're an alcoholic when you say you know, you are. And, um, and I think with, with THC and what we're sort of learning, it's this, this new exciting thing, um, is like, like Mike said, it is individual. And what really matters is, you know, how is it affecting what your goals are for your recovery? So like, if you had one thing in mind for what recovery was to you and, maybe maybe the uh, THC was actually helping in that for a minute or two. But when it turns into something that, you know, when you're recovered uh, in addiction, you know, you feel want to feel a certain way, you know. And when you start doing things that go against what your goals are, it starts to gnaw at you. And, uh, and I guess that right. started to happen for all of a sudden you weren't behaving the way you wanted to. It, it wasn't having all of those positive effects anymore. Maybe you were obsessing over it. Maybe you were spending too much money. Like it, it turns it, well, not to say that it can't keep being okay, you know, but for you, you know, it was individual to you and your goals for recovery, I guess, you know, started to, to disappear a little bit and you realized, oh man, this isn't for me. Right, right, you're right, and and I, you know, I can't say what is surprising for anybody else, um, and I would never, I would never, you know, I think there's something cautionary about knowing that uh, it's not just as, you know, it, it doesn't turn out just fine for everybody, right? But mm-hmm. uh, you know, aside from that, you know, it is about what does it do to your life? You know, do you feel like you have something to hide all the time? Do you feel, uh, you know, for me, I, you know, I was in a relationship that was founded uh, within recovery. And so, you know, and and really this impacted both of us. Um, And, uh, you know, that part, we've both been very open about the fact that um, this occurred with both of us. And, um, you know, it's supposed to eat away at the fabric of our that relationship if it's a whole new territory. Um, if the only thing, you know, that we'd ever experienced was sobriety uh, together. It, you yeah, know, it, that's it hard. Something that that's really we hard. were alone in the same room, you know, like separately all the time. <laughs> you know, so there were lots of ways that um, it, it really, like I said, ate away the fabric of parts of my life. And, uh, 
it was you know, having so it was having that deleterious like when when it starts to have an effect on your life that you remember like opioids were starting to have you know you kind of get that recall like oh my god this is happening you know for me it's like if i'm ever doing something that i can't tell my wife about i get very squirrel i'm like uh, you know if if it's something that i'm going to have to hide uh, or buy secretly, like anything like that, mm. I start to feel like I'm I'm descending, and and so uh, for me, it's just being as open as possible, and that's kind of, you know, um, you know, telling on yourself, like it's something that I do to um, to feel better in recovery. It's part of why people say call a sponsor, call someone, because getting it out, you know, is part of the process. I don't know why it works, mm-hmm. but to get it out and to just talk about it. Um, it always helps. And I think the, the important part here is you didn't go further uh, and you didn't like, de- you know, call up your, you know, like when I would relapse, I'd start with a beer and end with a bag of dope. Um, uh, and so that right. didn't happen. Thank God. But like, I think the real right. important thing is how did you pull out of it? Or did you? I mean, I'm assuming you did, but how did you turn it around and say, you know, like with most people, they start to relapse on something and then they give up because they go, I don't know how to get out of this. I can't, I don't have the energy. Uh, I'm just going back to that life. So you had to turn that right. around. And so like, what did you, how did you do it? Well, um, you know, the serious part of it was, you know, like you were just talking about when, if it was something I could just own and say, this is what I'm doing. It would have probably been a different scenario, but like you said, you know, um, even if I was just willing to say it to somebody, it might've, you know, it it might've been something that was less, uh, terrifying to me, Mm -hmm. but the fact that, you know, there was not one other person that knew, um, and not, you know, that I, I was basically at that point living, what can only amount to really a double identity, a double, uh, life. And, um, you know, that was always doomed to fail. Uh, it would be one thing if I was saying, well, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm cool with it. It's fine. It's not hurt. Whatever it is. Um, that would have been a different scenario, but because I couldn't even admit to myself that it was a relapse or even a slip, um, I couldn't even you know, I couldn't even embrace even what I was doing. Mm. So, you know, um, in that, I it basically came to a point where I was, um, I, I would sit there pretty often and think, I guess this is the beginning of the end. I guess this is how this ends because, you know, I had uh, seven years and, and some change sober and, um, and, you know, and uh, I've, I just handed it over and there's no way out because for us, the scary part about addiction is that we would probably rather oftentimes when we're in it, die in it than to admit we did it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, the one of the most uh, pervasive and untreatable um, if we're not willing to really get real uh, at least about, even if it's that I, I'm doing what I'm doing and I don't stand to quit, if that was something I was even willing to say, you know, it would, would have maybe been less dangerous, but it wasn't. 
um, it, it wasn't because my thinking was that uh, I would deal with it later or never or, you know, that I couldn't, I didn't, I, you know, anymore I wasn't making any future plans for my life. And um, when it came to that and, and then not only had it been introduced into my relationship, but it started to degrade it in and of itself, you know, that it started to actually cause more harm in that relationship mm. um, from both sides, you know, not one or the other or anything, but the fact that it wasn't even helping with whatever the intended purpose was, which was to get us through to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to be harm, quote unquote, harm reduction uh, efforts that we always were not doing this or that or the other, but uh, as insane as things felt and got, it really might as well have been. Um, just with, you know, the depression. And I was, you know, dealing with this massive amount of depression that had really ramped up and ramped up all year. And um, mm. using a major depressant doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. That's <laughs> why that would help. But, you know, sometimes it's not characterized that way, right? It's right. like supposed to be the feel good thing and it felt anything but that. Which is, there was a, uh, and, a like study was taking things from me. There was a study just released uh, about a week ago and because they, you know, now that, that uh, marijuana is legal, they've been doing finally all this research that they wanted to do for years that never had, they never had the opportunity. But, um, the, uh, the result of the survey was that, or study was that, uh, you know, kids, adolescents that use, um, marijuana regularly are far more likely to have suicidal ideation and suicide attempts, uh, than people that don't. And that, stood out to me a little bit because, um, you know, marijuana is always sort of posited as the happy drug, you know, you, you know, rip a couple bong hits, Cheech and Chong, you know, all that kind of thing. But but really, you know, for a lot of people who's, you know, wiring, maybe they're not wired like Tommy Chong, who uh, has a very (laughs) interesting Instagram uh, account, by the way. Um, You know, it it can be extremely, uh, create extreme paranoia and depression mm-hmm. anxiety I've experienced too. that uh, a lot you know it's uh, well, yeah I, when you create this whole environment uh, on top of that where you've got this secret with one other person and so yeah. that's the only person you're spending any time with yeah you're sick as um, your secrets that sense of paranoia yeah. yeah that sense of paranoia and isolation only increases Right. So, you know, and, you know, I thought the worst part of it would be <clears throat> not that I'd done it, uh, or that I'd maintained it for a little while, but I thought the hardest part would be admitting it. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it usually is. And it, well, it, you know, and that was, the, and to be honest, that really was the hardest part because everything else of that was such a relief. You know, and, and I basically brought it to my, you know, my, my partner and I had decided that we were done and, and that's that great. it needed to be that way. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't, I'm not going to say, well, we just woke up one day and thought, you know, oh. some things really went down to where, um, <clears throat> it had become incredibly unmanageable and, and, you know, somewhat, it was just, all the whole thing was just kind of very risky in a lot of ways, but knowing that like here I am in my mid forties, like risking, you know, actually probably going to jail if, if I'm found with, you know, 
as I started to really accept what was actually going on, the realities of a lot of that um, started to sink in. And I thought, who, like, who, who am I? What is this? Like, uh, am I serious right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just plan like, what, so here my point, my, you know, my choice is basically just stay burnt the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know that that's going to play out well. Uh, and uh, marijuana is not what marijuana used to be. Um, no, it isn't. One in price, two <laughs> in strength, and like just—it's it, a whole other animal. It, it really is. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, I was—I couldn't just do it and go do things. Not, not really. Right. Yeah, even you the know, Delta, not well. even the Delta Eight uh, THC that uh, that uh, that we uh, we were trying out that I was using to sleep for a while. Um, even that, you know, THC light, basically, when I was taking for sleep, it really I couldn't do anything. Like I had to go. It right gave to me sleep. temporary Alzheimer's. Yeah, um, but one thing. Oh, it was awful. I couldn't remember yeah. words. I couldn't remember, and I started to become less and less productive because, of course, what started to happen, like you yeah. with any. Drug for me is that it will become earlier and earlier in the day. Mm. You know, it, it becomes something where you're like, well, yeah. I mean, I'll just, you know, just a little for anxiety at right. 10 a.m. or whatever, and then just be knocked out sometimes. And you weren't feeling like you were living your best life because part of what I love about recovery, and it sounds cheesy to say, I'm living my best life, but. I, I mean, I really identify with that. Like when I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, uh, for me, I feel good about it. You know what I mean? And so the fact that you're able to deceive that for what it is and, and pull yourself up and say, you know what, this is not meeting my set sobriety goals. This is not my recovery that, that I wanted. Um, and Mike and I were just talking uh, before we called you about, you know, the way we view relapse. And, um, you know, it, it's it's very easy to, to view relapse as this like big failure. That's how you, you're made to feel all this shame. When I look back on all of my relapses, and there were many, um, I saw it as an opportunity. Now, this is a chance for me to get my recovery to the next level. You know, it's almost like you're, you're error checking and coding mm. when you're debugging. Like, this is a lot like debugging. Now you know that you can't go down that path. This new path appeared, and you're like, you know what? I tried it, and this did not work out the way it was advertised, and you pulled yourself out. Now you're on the next level in your recovery. This is almost like a promotion because now you've got this experience. You can relate to that many more people. And, uh, and I think it, that it's a step ahead. I think that this puts you to a new, you know, a new level of your recovery. Now you can move even further forward. Right. Well, and that's what ends up happening um, is <clears throat> that as, you know, as I kind of ripped off the Band-Aid of, of, you know, telling one person and then telling, you know, uh, my saying it out loud in front of my Zoom meeting and realizing that the, the earth didn't, you know, stop turning, the sky didn't come in, that, you know, not, none of that happened and I actually felt lighter no matter what yeah. I felt like it had quote unquote taken from me, right? And time and all of that, that I was just really grateful to have escaped with my life. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I was so grateful that I could not sit very long in the shame and the, yeah. 
yeah. uh, the and, dishonor and, and what people thought about it. And, you know, and I, I'm in their places. I, I only shared about it openly and in very uh, few places. But to me, you know, for me, that was all that was required, at least in the beginning. And, and even to today, you know, I, I know that I don't have to share this, but, you know, but for me, um, what I think people need to hear more and more is I don't care how long you've been sober. I don't care how many years you put together. I don't care if it's a day or 10 years that uh, there's no secret was dying over and that if we survive it, because the other thing is that when people say, well, relapse is part of recovery. Well, it doesn't, one doesn't have to be two. Not all of us are guaranteed to survive it. So right. I'm not going to say go mm-hmm. take chances with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm not going to say go take chances with that. No. Uh, but if you survive it, it, it just isn't, it's not that big of a deal. What's lost. What, yeah, those you know, that love you. Theoretically love seemingly you. lost. Right. Like those of us who love and support and you. And maybe more. Well, still, yeah, exactly. Like the people who really matter and the people who really love you and are looking out for you. Um, they they just love you more and support you more, um, and so sometimes it's a good way to weed out people, you know, <laughs> in your local groups that you just really don't want to waste energy on, you know. But it's it's so important for everybody listening to this show to to know that that like you said, if so, if something goes wrong for you in your recovery that you don't feel good about, you know, bring it to the group, bring it to bring it out and. You know, we'll still love and support you, respect you, and, you know, and we got a future, you know, and you've got a future. And it's, you know, it's important for people to know that, you, you know, you can, you can, if you survive it, and I almost didn't survive my last relapse. So, you know, it really is a matter of life and death. And thank God, thank God that um, you came out of it. And, uh, and it's really helping people, I think, to hear uh, that there is light on the other side and that it can get better. And it's a real cautionary tale for people that are thinking about heading down that the road of THC um, that, you know, it may, may not be as benign as you, as you think it is, and it may cause you to, you know, drift back into habits that you had that are, you know, more dangerous than, than, than pot. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Your mileage may vary. You yeah. know, absolutely. Some people do fine with it. Some people don't. And it it, it sucks that they're, that's kind of the, the bottom line of it, right? Like, how do I know if I'm that person? Well, for me, I survived taking the chance to find out, right? And, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if there's one person that, that can hear that, you know, it, that chances are at least 50-50 that it won't work out if you've got a history with other substances and such, then, you know, maybe you don't have to try it yourself. But, you know, it, but if someone, you know, if, if uh, there's no hole to eat, you know, not yeah. until it's the final one, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and the the, need to hear that. the the next thing I wanted to touch on before uh, before we go... Uh, is one thing that is important to me when I think of my relapses or I'm ever talking to someone about relapse, uh, I always say, listen, what you relapse, okay, great. Now, what are you going to do differently? Like, what are you going to add? What are you going to subtract? You know, how are you going to move forward? 
in a better way, a way that's safer for you, that makes you happier. So I'm wondering, you know, what did you change besides just you're not smoking pot anymore? But like, what did you change about your recovery, if anything, um, to help guard against these sorts of things in the future? And like, uh, you know, what did you get rid of or what did you add uh, to your program, if anything? Well, uh, one thing I did was use it as uh, what it what it really was for me, which was an eye opener about a lot of areas of my life and, and places where I just had stagnated. Um, and whether that's social, you know, starting to become more proactive about reaching out, um, you know, not just when I'm in a rut or in trouble, but trying to keep connections so that I don't end up with no safety net again of you know, of having a built-in support system kind of going back around and, and you know, rebuilding that foundation. Because uh, my trouble isn't necessarily not having people to call when uh, shit hits the fan. It's that I'm usually, you know, <laughs> all torn up by the fan by the time it occurs to me. Right. Um, if I'm not staying in a regular contact. And I mean, that can be with, you know, members of your recovery, uh, you know, any whichever uh, message you use, that could be in your home life, that could be, you know, basic friendship, that, that could be a lot of different areas, but, you know, it, it, it inspired me to try to, you know, whether a train wreck or not, to try to be, uh, you know, go back to really trying to be authentic in, in every space that I'm in. Yeah, that's great. And can yeah. I make a recommendation? Something something that works for me and Mike uh, for your recovery. You need to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody should, right? Everybody. There shouldn't be a person out there not starting a podcast. Cause well, maybe not everybody. I think everybody. I think <laughs> I it should just be podcast central. Don't put it on your vaccination card. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really helped us. And I mean, and I have ulterior motives. I want you to start giving us some content so we can start building up our uh, recovery channel. But, um, no, but seriously, like doing a project, like, you know, over the, the things that kept us going I, for me in, in this pandemic is I decided to do like a million different projects. Like we started a podcast. Here, here. Da, 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 da. I went to back to college, you know, and so staying busy for me was huge. But uh, yeah, so I recommend a podcast. What do they say in the the program? Say yes to everything. Say or something like that. Well, you never say no. If like someone asks you to speak at a meeting, you always always say yes to the program. Um, Uh, It's. I I mean, I I don't know. I can't speak from that, but I I think this podcast kept kept me sober. Yeah, this. Doing this podcast kept me sober during the pandemic. Yeah, I can say that 100%. Mike spent no your time. podcast has helped a lot of other people, too. Well, we really hope so. And, I mean, like, Mike didn't yeah. really do a lot of recovery work before we started this podcast. No, I, you know, yeah. not much at all. He didn't come from a background like us where, you know, I was court-mandated at like AA for, like, 10 years. So he wasn't quite as indoctrinated as I was. I dabbled um, in the 90s. You did. <laughs> But, you know, um, recovery. but yeah, so doing this podcast, it helps us both. And I hope it's helping you guys out there. Um, with that, we're going to say goodbye, I, I think, unless yeah. you want something oh, else. You guys are the best. Yeah. You guys are the best. I have to pee Next really Next time bad. we'll be back with a more lively. <laughs> no. <laughs> Something more lively. I hope, I hope it doesn't sound so much like a bummer. I think it deserves no. some, some. No, I think some this is very helpful. But. I, 
Yeah, I think people will really identify with this with your struggle. Yeah, you're and, you're uh, brave, and yeah. and this doing this um, is the work of recovery. You are doing the work, uh, and part of it is telling on yourself and being honest. And you, like you said, you feel much better about it. And um, we'll be looking forward to another great episode of Get Smart with Aaron Moore in a couple of weeks. Also, Aaron, thank you for accepting uh, the moderatorship, if that's a word. Uh, Aaron will be moderating the private Facebook group. So if you have any questions or you want to chat her up a little Where's bit more. Where's that applause again? Just <laughs> what? Oh. The crowd. The, the, yeah. Yes. Matt, there you go. You yes, got it. New moderator. You got it. Okay. The triumvirate, the oligarchy of RMA. <laughs> Um, so thank you, Aaron, and um, hang in there. And you know we appreciate it so much that you're coming on the show, and uh, and you really you really make it better. So thank you very much. Oh well, thank you. I love y'all, and we love you too. And uh, we'll talk to you right. soon. Bye. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. So I just want to say that that was a great uh, discussion, and I appreciate Aaron being so open with us. Yeah. Um, I also want to say though that. I think we've barely scratched the surface on the topic of, of relapse. There's a lot of statistics we have, a lot of stuff that I would like to go through. And I think maybe this merits a round two next week. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I have a final thought that I may have typed out last night before I pee. <laughs> it says final thought Nat. There you so go. is that the one? Yes, it is. Okay, go. And then we can take a break and go pee. Oh, you really have to pee, don't you? I do. I should drag this out no, to make please, you uncomfortable. Please don't. All right, it, go ahead. it has been said that many times, it has been said many times... <laughs> That when people say they relapse, the truth is, if you never recovered in the first place, guess what? You didn't relapse. Like, you can only relapse if you're in a state of recovery, right? I got it. More accurately, you, you know, you just took a break from using. If you truly do the work of recovery, and I mean work, work at it like your life depends on it, because it does. And if you fall short of your personal abstinence goal, that's not a relapse, that's life. When someone's cancer comes back, we don't shame the patient and make them feel like they failed or they're a failure. We merely change or revisit the treatments that worked before and add anything new or better that can help the disease stay in remission a little longer, hopefully for the rest of the life, your life. I propose we view relapse in addiction in the same way that we talk about recurrence in cancer treatment. When the, when the cancer comes back, when it happens, it's time to get back to work, not wallow in shame and failure and feeling like shit and hiding. It's shit. We get back to the doctor. It's all in the name of a better life for you and your family. So, you know, let's drop the shame as Amy Dresner says, fuck shame um, and come together and support each other. And uh, I, I would, I would say to thought. continue the cancer analogy though, I would say that if the cancer doesn't respond to a particular sort of treatment, you try a different modality, right? So if AA doesn't work for you, try smart recovery. If smart recovery doesn't work for you, try, try something else. The RMA try podcast. The RMA podcast. Try this naked mind. Uh, there is no one path to the top of the mountain. And most importantly, reach out to us before you relapse. Yes, before would be better. My sponsor used to say, always used to say, call me before you drink. Yes. Um, and so with that, we will be right back after these words. Okay. And we're, we're back. back. Yes, yes, yes. So. Okay. 
So that was good. <laughs> so next week, more relapsing. Someone that lived here a long time ago. Okay. All right. Enough. Enough. It's and funny though that thing with the weed. It really is because you know my little mini experience with that Delta Eight stuff really reinforced to me how much I did not want to be high. <laughs> how much I don't care for it anymore. But yeah, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Aaron. I mean, it's very brave. I, I've. Like I said, I, I've been there a million times and I have a bunch of relapse stories that I did not tell today. Um, but every single time, you know, the, like she said, that really the hardest part is coming clean because if you're building up a community mm-hmm. where you're in recovery, your partner's in recovery, and it's just like the perceived consequences of relapsing grow way past what they truly right. are. Right. And, um, any case, so well, that's a function of a you know of a couple of things. It's like you know the 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 not wanting to get that negative uh, response from the recovery community. The you know, but it, it's exhausting to have to hold that inside. You know, it is living living the double life. So, but anyway. um, so next week we decided because Grant did a lot of great um, research on some statistics with relapse. I think there's a lot more to be said on this. I promise not to write a bunch of stuff like I did for this one, but um, I just, I felt very passionately about relapse and the way it's viewed in recovery. It's something that I think is is really important. You know, I feel like we'll save more lives uh, if we get real about relapsing and how it does happen and it's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, we don't want you to do that, but if you do, okay, no big deal. You know, I don't know why people get so shocked when an alcoholic drinks or so shocked when right. someone suffering from addiction, you know, uh, uses because that, that's the, this is a disease. These are the symptoms of that disease and it does, there is recurrence and it's okay. The important thing is that you get back on the horse, you turn it, turn it, the boat around. Uh, and start and move forward and get better in your recovery. So next week, we'll look at some of the scientific reasons behind why people relapse. All this and more. <laughs> um, what is it time for? I think at long last, it's retime. <laughs> it is retime. It is retime for recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. This, of course. This calls to mind the fact that we got an email yesterday from a listener yes. who said that uh, he finds himself singing along yes. uh, with, with Nat when Nat uh, starts yeah. doing his scat at the beginning <laughs> of the recovery in the news part. I do not understand, but uh, hey. Yes, you know, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Encouraging Nat to keep doing that. Oh, I'll sing all day if I could. Uh, yes, yes, I know. <laughs> so what is uh, Shakari Richardson? Is she a track sensation? What is she? She is a she is a track sensation. Oh. And to continue our discussion of marijuana, um, marijuana. This is uh, from the New York Times this week, and and from everywhere else. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that Shakari Richardson, a track sensation and uh, a, a uh, Olympian. Uh, a track a member sensation. of the U.S. Olympic team tested positive for marijuana. Uh, the American wait, wait, sprinter wait, wait, wait. Shikari Richardson, who was set for a star turn at the Tokyo Olympics this month, could miss the games after testing positive for marijuana. Uh, she actually is going to miss the games. That's um, 
came across the wire this morning. Happened because to Michael the, Phelps too, didn't he? Smoke yeah, but pot? Michael Phelps was somehow because he made advertisers a lot of money. Was well, he's a white pass. male, so right. he gets away with everything. Richardson, 21, won the women's 100-meter race at the U.S. track and field trials in Oregon last month, but her positive test automatically invalidated her result in that marquee event, and unfortunately, she was not included in um, the other events. So uh, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency announced the positive test result Friday morning and said Richardson had accepted a suspension of one month starting on June 28th which could clear her to run in, in time to run in the 4 by 100 meter relay that takes place later in the games if she is named to the U.S. team, which she was not. Um, in an interview on NBC on Friday, Richardson blamed the positive test on her use of marijuana as a way to cope with the unexpected death of her biological mother while she was in Oregon for the Olympic trials. Um, she learned about the death from a reporter during an interview and called it triggering and definitely nerve-shocking. It sent me into a state of emotional panic, she said, adding, I didn't know how to control my emotions or deal with my emotions at that time. She apologized to her fans, her family, and her sponsors, saying, I greatly apologize if I let you guys down, and I did. Um, Wait, she has a sponsor? Oh, no, no, not an AA sponsor. No, I, I have some issues with this. I have, I have to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean... No one, I think, would ever consider marijuana to be a performance-enhancing drug in the in the issue in the era area of track and field. I mean, no, but they okay. The Olympians, the Olympic Committee, have for a long time had a very strict no foreign substances that are not approved. You know, besides vitamins, and so whether or not we really believe marijuana is going to help or whatever, still. All of the other athletes are following this stuff. It's, you know, you're an Olympian. So why wasn't Michael Phelps kept out of the Olympics for his I think, drug behavior? Well, he had already won all of his medals. Well, some of them. And uh, they suspended him. They mm. said he couldn't swim for a year or something. I don't so know. He was I, punished. I don't but. approve. The only reason that marijuana was added to the list of banned substances in the Olympics was at the pressure of the United States government for its anti-drug policy reasons. We're blaming the government. I mean, it's true. Um <laughs> And I think taking away this young woman's chance of, of winning a gold medal for something that is now legal in, uh, you know, 34 states. Well, if they drink um, alcohol, if they have alcohol well, in their system. That's exactly my point. I could, mean, alcohol, you can will, test for alcohol will not exclude you from, from the game. Well, maybe it should. Um, maybe it should. Maybe it shouldn't. It's not a performance enhancer either. No. I mean, if the goal here is to is to only have a level playing field, uh, and that's why we're testing for substances. Why are we testing for drugs that have nothing to do with performance? Just to shame people? Like, yeah. Again, this is like shaming people that, that use use drugs for and alcohol for whatever reason. I, I, I just don't yeah. think it's a good idea. It's probably, you know, I agree. She's um, 21 years old and her mother just died, you know? So that's an excuse to well, smoke marijuana? Well, sure. What, what's to be gained from keeping her from competing in the Olympics? The only thing, and I agree with you, I think it's stupid that, that they're doing this, but um, what I understand is that they have certain standards, whether we agree with them or not, um, and the fact that she broke those rules knowing they were there, you know, um, maybe she should be in recovery. I mean, by, okay. Maybe this is a chance to say, listen, I could not control myself. By that logic, I you, mean, the you, rules for, for smoking, you know, uh, pot, you know, before it was legal would result in you going to jail or, or something. So should, is that okay too? Well, the laws have been changed. The laws have been changed. The, now they've been changed. But right. what about all those people that lost all those, all those years and all those opportunities in their lives because they were criminalized? Yeah, it's fucked up. They shouldn't have done it. Right. They don't, shouldn't do it to this woman either. Yeah. Yeah. 
Probably not. I don't know. You're I, taking away her dreams of Olympic stardom because she, you know, smoked a joint. I mean, seems you, absurd. What we would argue is she did that to herself. Mm. Nobody put the pot in her hand. Nobody put the crack into the pipe. Oh. No major made. Nobody made. She you did smoke that all up, by herself. Like? She's a grown woman. She knew what the rules are, and she broke them. Whether we agree with the rules is another story. Yeah, disagree. And that <laughs> is recovery, recovery in the, the news. Man, CVS is calling me. CVS, the, the station? C- CVS, the drugstore. Maybe we're going to They want me to pick CBS. up my Cipro prescription. Somebody's calling my shop, like, incessantly. Um, okay. What's uh, next? Are we time? Is it time for the week and weird yet? Ooh. Haunted Village for Sale in Scotland by Tim Banal. The room. Do you know anybody else <laughs> no, I just, on the internet? I love this guy. He writes for Coast to Coast AM. It's one of my favorite radio shows. Yes. Uh, the ruins of a Scottish village said to be occupied by the ghost of a 17th century prophetess is up for a sale. Prophetess? <laughs> Tim Banal. Spanning approximately 3.3 acres of land sitting on the shore of Loch Tay, the picturesque property known as the Old Village of Lawyers... Re- <laughs> Of Lawers? Lawers. Oh, interesting. Reportedly features the remnants of multiple buildings that constituted the community centuries ago. While the village was ultimately abandoned in 1926, there is said to be one resident who remains at the location, albeit in spirit form, who has become something of a legend by way of her eerie predictions that seemingly came to fruition on several occasions. Known as the Lady of Lawers, Mary Campbell resided in the village during the late 17th century and earned a reputation for being able to foresee future events, which she revealed in a poetic fashion similar to Nostradamus. Perhaps the most famous of her prophecies centered around an ash tree that she planted near a church in the village. Campbell cautioned that when the tree grew to a height of the church's gable, the building would, quote, split asunder. Centuries later, her prediction came to pass when a violent thunderstorm destroyed the church just as the tree had reached that prescribed height. The Lady of Lawers is also credited with having predicted the emergence of railroads. Oh, really? <laughs> which she described as fire coaches, as well as steamships, which she envisioned as being ship driven by smoke. Wow. Chillingly. This is almost over. Chillingly. <laughs> one prophecy put forward by Campbell, which is yet to come true, is that such a vessel would sink in the Loch Tay and there would be a great loss of life. Given her strong connection to the location, many believe that the ghost of the legendary soothsayer still roams the grounds of the village. The current asking price for the property, the entire village, is $173,000, and the purchase includes a private beach, fishing rights, semi-ancient native woodland, in quotes, and presumably the spirit of the Lady of Lowers. Maybe we need to get everybody together, uh, our audience and us, and purchase the Scottish Scottish Village. I would love to have a Lady of Flowers. And we could do Week and Weird, you know, live from this haunted village in Scotland. Except it would be about the same thing every week. It would. And that (laughs) is this week in Weird. Well, that That about about does it. Does it. Does it for for today. today. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you later.
Nope. <laughs> Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and check out our new merch page. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. Come talk to all the new awesome moderators who are kicking ass and taking names, but not your last name. We'll keep it anonymous. <laughs> if you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Mike works very hard on them, and there are many hilarious Easter eggs to find. Listen to us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify. Tweet us a twat you twit. Amazon. YouTube and more. Also, please go to your Apple Podcast app or iTunes and write us a great review. Five star reviews will be read on the air. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Hasta la vista, baby. See you next time. Be good. Be good.